Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. All right, welcome everybody to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast this week. We're, uh, we're coming to you from the Northeast Research Station in St. Joe. We've got R.L. Frazier's here with me, and we got Dr. Michael Deliberto, the ag economist from the LSU Ag Center. He's actually on the phone. He's in... I'm assuming he's on campus somewhere. I think I dialed a campus number, but he's he's down there, and we're going to be talking about the markets here and what we think or what he thinks coming up. I think you know, it's a, he's an ag economist. He's he's supposed to know these he's things. He's supposed though. to know. You know he's, he's supposed to be the guru. That's right. You know, now, I hear him trying to hang up though now. But anyway, he, we'll dial him back if yeah. he hangs up. Um, but uh, what we're first of all, let's talk about one quick thing here. I've been riding around this morning. I know uh, you've been riding around. You're coming down here. Uh, everywhere you look, there's a tractor with a planter in the field. Correct. You know, replants, uh, decision making on cotton corn, replants, fertilizing, you know, corn, uh, cotton, trying to get all that caught up. This is probably the longest, what, stretch we've had the entire yeah. planting season without a rain forecast out in front of us. Yeah, so, and it's, it's so supposed to really be working. It's supposed to be good to dry through next week, but most of the, I know most of the tractors I've seen today and talked to the farmers I've seen, they're all replanting. So I think that, uh, and, and I've, ta- I've looked at some cotton, I've looked at some soybeans. I think that with today is the 23rd of May, uh, you know, uh, we're looking at, a planting window is kind of running out. June cotton. We don't want to plant June cotton. You know, let's look at some stands and, and really make an informed decision. Maybe it's better to keep a three stand, fourths. you know, yeah. three-fourths of a stand rather than a full stand just to, you know, keep it keep it going. I don't know. That, that's for the growers. Uh, but if they need some help doing stand counts and trying to figure it out, give us a call. We'll be glad to come. Yeah. Come walk in some fields. That's what I've done. Uh, well, the main thing, I think you just hit on the, the key point right there. Don't just walk out there and look at that field and say, uh, not thick enough, I'm going to replant it. Do some stand counts. Know what you got, how many plants you got, and then make some economic decisions. Put a pencil to it. You know, you know you got X number of stand, X number of plants, and then if I destroy these and replant, I'm two more weeks out behind. I'm may or may not get a stand. Yeah. So don't well, just because it's not pretty destroy. Yeah, it uh, uniformity has a lot to do with it. Uh, Michael, you got any economic uh, information about replanting? Any any numbers we could throw out there? Uh, Mr. Dennis, I think the biggest thing, and uh, y'all touched on this uh, just a few seconds ago, was knowing how much cost you have invested in that crop and how does that equate to where your break even is what what target price do i have um you know is it worth me being delayed or am i going to have to apply any additional inputs because that's going to come at an increased cost relative to where that crop is contracted or booked and talk with your insurance agent know your options want to prevent uh prevent planting if you want to take the preventing plant payment but maybe you want to put some late maturity group soybeans in behind that how would that affect um the the payment rate that you get from that 
prevent planting costs. It really comes down to figure, uh, just trying to decide if it's a crop that you want to stick with or get out and get into soybeans. So I think knowing the cost and really equating that to how much time of the year you have left to do all this field work uh, is going to be important. All right, you just touched on something right then, and I talked to a man yesterday, prevented planting. And he's, uh, it's, this is down, down the river here next to the levee. He's got seep water. I mean, it's water's over the whole field. It's all seep water. I mean, he's going, he's looking at the middle of, uh, middle of June before, maybe before the water gets off at the earliest. And he was talking about maybe prevented planting and just, you know, didn't know what he wanted to do. Didn't even know if he could even get a crop in this year. Uh, what do you know about prevented planting like that? I know with prevented planting, uh, there, there's a couple different options in there. Uh, if you're going to leave that acres uh, unplanted so you don't want to put uh, another crop in behind it, you can get that full prevent planting repayment if you have that in your contract. Uh, if memory serves me right, that's about 55% of the original production guarantee. Uh, it could be as high as 60% if they bought additional uh, prevent planting coverage options with their insurance agent. Uh, I do know it varies a little bit if you want to plant a cover crop on it uh, at the end of late planting. There's some options there. Um, and you always could plant another crop, but again, if you want to plant another crop, you could take 35% of that prevented planting payment, plant another crop for harvest, um, but you're going ha to have to do that before that late crop period ends as well. So there's some different dates on there that the grower needs to uh, contact his agent uh, and really look at all the available options he has and make an economic decision based on, again, can that be planted to something else? Uh, if he does that and takes prevented planting, uh, you know, subject to his premium, uh, how much is that going to net him versus, you know, uh, in some cases what he's already done in that field in terms of fertilizer, field work, et cetera. All right. Well, good. well that, um, that'll help a lot because there, there's a good, if you go from Arkansas to the end of Concordia Parish, the area we're in, there's a good many acres that have seep water or underwater. I know, and while I know Catahoula Parish, the south end of it, got a big area underwater. Um, Bunches being up on the north end of yeah. East Carroll Parish. I was up there yesterday. Three fourths of that's anywhere from one foot to eight foot of water on it. It's don't know when they'll if don't really anticipate them getting in there this year. You know, so that's. That's something that, that they're talking about now uh, and considering. So, we'll, uh, I'm glad I'm glad you were here to kind of shed a little light on some of it. So, but that all leads up now. The reason we got you here because everybody's into the markets. You know, cotton. Let's talk about cotton first. Cotton was uh, real high, 77 at one time, 77, 78 cents. Next December, uh, at one time earlier this spring, now it's 66. So I don't think it's 67 cents today. I haven't looked at it today. Uh, what happened to the cotton market? Well, I think, you know, the cotton market is really, uh, it, as much as I hate to say it, I think when that May Wazi report came out from USDA, with regards to crop size, production, uh, where exports were figured on new crop supply, I, I think that was what the trade and what the industry expected. I don't think what the industry expected was all the political rhetoric with the trade negotiations. And, you know, uh, when you talk about cotton, it's a crop that, you know, 80% of it is produced for the export market. You know, cotton and soybeans, uh, they, they've suffered. 
uh, from this policy uh, drawdown with China here. And I think when you look at the futures reacted, uh, the, the, the market is going to capture all that political, all that uncertainty. And that's why you saw the July contracts in cotton uh, last week fall almost 10 cents in a week. I think the December contracts on new crop fell almost 8 cents, and that was just with the uncertainty. I think the market kind of built, built up some anticipation that a trade resolution was coming. These negotiations were kind of on track for the most part, um, and then when uh, the U.S. announced it was going to increase the tariff rates, I think the performance of the stock market, the economic growth, where China's sector was, but also how was these tariffs going to affect uh, the home goods, the textiles, the apparel companies? And so now we're kind of transcending agriculture and getting into kind of the overall performance of the markets. And I think that was cause for concern of why these futures really just tumbled uh, pretty drastically over a span of about four or five days there. And I think I touched on that a little bit in that market report uh, I put out. And if any of your listeners are unfamiliar with that, I do a monthly market recap for corn, cotton, rice, and beans uh, free of charge. Um, and would be happy to send that uh, out to anybody that wants it. But, you know, really... That WASDE report that I talk about, and that's a report USDA puts out every month. The May report is pretty important because that's the official, first official report that USDA has for the 1920 crop year. So it's going to take those uh, prospective planning numbers that we talked about at the end of March. It's going to put trend line yields with those, but it's going to be a first really objective analysis, if you will, for where that new crop supply and demand is going to be. With cotton, um, we saw an increase in area this year. Uh, trend line yields are relatively normal. But the abandonment rates that we saw out of, out of Texas last year, the southwestern part of Texas, the Panhandle, the High Plains area, uh, good moisture content so far this year. Um, soil moisture was there in the profile. Uh, rains have been favorable out there. I think that's actually making a big crop seem even bigger on paper. Uh, when you look at the way planning progress and the weather forecast for the High Plains region of that state, that's about 50% of their production. Those conditions look favorable. So when you're talking about favorable uh, production conditions with a cotton crop that's estimated to be right at 22 million bales, I think the anticipation by the trade is that we're going to have a big cotton crop. You have to be able to meet that supply with some demand. They raised exports next year. Um, for the uh, 1920 crop to 17 million bales, which I think uh, some would argue that's maybe a little bit too aggressive. I think when you look at world trade, you look at demand uh, for global cotton, uh, how U.S. Uh, how we compete globally, we offer high-quality cotton that's very desirable by a lot of end users. Uh, I think that's reasonable when you look at the pace of global growth in the cotton industry, uh, but ending stocks are going to be up. All this trade stuff and the uncertainty comes into the market, too, and the new crop prices, a season average farm price has dropped almost a nickel to 65 cents on new crop cotton. So I think you had that perfect storm, if you will, with the anticipation of a bigger crop um, and then this trade uncertainty in here, poor performance of the stock markets, not just in the U.S., but also in China. All that kind of contributed to a big drawdown in the futures market, and that's why we saw that support level of that 70, 72 cents, even 74 cents on the uh, July contracts really fall down to, well, what kind of support levels are we thinking now? Is it 67 cents? Is it 70 cents? Um, I've even heard talk of some of the low 60 cents on new crop contracts.
cotton. But again, we've got a long growing season in front of us. We've got a lot of weather uh, still that's going to happen to get through a growing season. Uh, and again, it's going to be driven by will those plains in Texas dry out a little bit more? Will they not make that production forecast? And then I think you could see maybe some movement in prices. Certainly a resolution to this trade deal. Um, uh, would be welcomed, especially by the cotton industry, really all of American ad for that matter. Um, but then again, too, supply. And I think supply is really keeping prices uh, curtailed to a certain uh, point right now because we simply just don't know what's going to happen on the trade front. Um, if y'all if, if, uh, got anything, stop me uh, right there. I hope that was kind of uh, a nutshell of what's going on in the cotton market right now. But uh, I think just to give y'all some information of where the markets were uh, and to get a little uh, technical, I guess. I am an economist. I guess I have to do uh, my department proud and give you a little bit of <laughs> numbers. But, um, you know, uh, fundamentally, uh, and this is all at the close of yesterday's market, uh, the cotton came under a little bit of pressure. Uh, you saw some major retailers report some sales that were a little bit below where their estimates were, suggesting maybe a slowdown in that apparel and that clothing sector. Again, I think this kind of puts cotton in the perspective of where those textiles and where those end users are, users are at. Uh, pace of planting, and this is something that we probably talk, we could spend all day talking about that uh, in the Midwest when we get to corn and soybeans. Uh, the pace with cotton has actually picked up over the past couple weeks. So I think the southeastern part of the U.S., mainly Georgia, and then what the Texas High Plains are doing, uh, weather, planting conditions over there. So I don't think we're going to see any kind of major supply revision or production uh, uh drop due to poor planning. I just don't see it with cotton. Uh, exports. Uh, exports, the weekly export report that USDA put out today for cotton uh, was up. We saw some new crop purchases uh, by the usuals, India, Bangladesh, Vietnam bought some. Uh, we saw some new crop purchases by China, um, although, you know, that's we still have to produce it and ship it, so obviously that's always subject to cancellation there, but, uh, you know, fundamentally that's what's going on, but again, when you look at the technical side of what the market's doing, um, you know, the, the the objective for really any kind of major rally, I think, that's going to come in cotton on the nearbys on old crop is really going to be, can we break that 70-cent level in July? Um, you know, um, with prices, you know, could they fall to the mid-60s? That's always a concern right there. But, again, uh, where are those support levels holding? And I think that's something to really kind of keep an eye on because we just, you know, we don't have that support that we had earlier on uh, leaving um you know, the fall, even the early winter months were, uh, again, Mr. Dennis, you hit on this, where that range was, you know, 72, 75 cents, as high as 77 cents. It's just really not there anymore to kind of provide that safety net uh, for producers right there. So the support didn't hold, and then it all comes down. What, did you book any cotton early, and what prices uh, do you have locked in? Michael, let me interrupt mm -hmm. you here. Uh, and I may have missed it in your comment. You know, we, we get this... Uh, and I don't know the official term, the market support that the president's come out with for soybeans and corn. Did I miss it, or is cotton not included in that uh, support pa package? Uh, cotton, uh, good point, uh, Mr. R.L. Uh, the USDA put out a press release this morning. Um, 
they did authorize another round of market facilitation program payments, and again, you're going to see that valued. Uh, I think the number I saw on that was about $14.5 billion, and that was for 29 total commodities from alfalfa uh, to sunflowers to rice, upland cotton, rice, uh, corn, soybeans, uh, sorghum, wheat, all that was included. Now, USDA hasn't been uh, as forthcoming with the actual payment rates and how that was going to be calculated. We do expect that there's going to be a little bit of tweaks to how that MFP program was administered last year. Uh, the way the language reads now, uh, again, not a lot of details out there, but they're going to base it on historical aggregate production of all those commodities within different counties in the U.S., and they're going to evaluate how much money uh, those payment rates are going to be, one, based on the county's historical performance, but then what they call, quote, a long-term uh, estimate of what these trade effects, you know, how much did they cost those U.S. agricultural sectors. I haven't seen any dollar amounts uh, out there yet. I know Bloomberg put an article uh, out earlier in the week that had a $2 per bushel payment for soybeans, 44 cents a bushel uh, an acre for corn. Uh, I haven't seen those numbers verified yet by USDA. So uh, unfortunately right now that's the only information I have on those trade assistance for producers. But again, as soon as USDA puts some more information out there, we'll definitely send something through our county agent and through the commodity uh, organizations and Farm Bureau in the state so we can get that information out to producers. But to my understanding, the way the press release read, um, it was going to be administered through USDA FSA. Those payments were going to be made in three installments, with the earliest possibly being made in August. But uh, I know that's kind of a lot of what-ifs and kind of a general rundown of a pretty important program, but uh, they just haven't released uh, any kind of payment rates. Uh, they say they're still in discussions, and this uh, program is still with the Office of Management and Budget for scoring. Um, so I think once that gets done, you'll probably see some of the major ag outlets start to report on this uh, in the coming get coming days. All right. Um, let me ask something. You just we're talking about exports, and we're talking about soybeans and tariffs mm -hmm. and all that in in Northeast Louisiana, right here along the river. Pretty much all of our soybeans go to the river, they go in a barge, and they go to Baton Rouge, New Orleans, and go overseas. What about the Mississippi River flow? I mean, the river just crested at Natchez yesterday. So what, they haven't low, been able to load barges, the elevator still got... What is all that impact going to have on the market? Well, really, it's, uh, you know, earlier uh, earlier in the month of May, it was really the tale of two halves, the upper Mississippi River versus the lower, and, you know, what rollers were doing in, in the upper portions of the river. Uh, you know, the openings uh, at ports north of here were uh, were delayed. I know a lot of barge companies were trying to look at different uh, freight schedules for the end of May, assuming that floodwaters were going to subside. But, uh, you know, really the extended closure of a lot of uh, facilities in the upper Mississippi River, um, you know, really shut off the export market to a lot of the growers up there. Uh, and I think it's going to, you know, likely to remain closed for a couple more months. And when you take away the river uh, as, a, as a transportation mode, as a grower, the only market options, uh, marketing options you have are really to truck the crops somewhere else, uh, you know, do you rail them uh, to the Pacific Northwest? Again, that's going to satisfy those Asian markets for exports, too. Or do you try to find a local operation that's 
you know, willing to take it, subject to you being at being at the mercy of whatever basis you can get, or do you just keep those crops in storage? And you know, um, farmers, uh, you know, we're going to have to wait until that Upper Mississippi River opens to transport their crops. You know, a trade deal with China can certainly make those exports crops, uh, you know, make exporting crops in a traditional low period like we're seeing in May and June much easier. But you know, that's still in question too. But I think y'all kind of hit on this earlier. Uh, the lack of barge volumes is really offsetting the impact of barge capacity constraints. And uh, the three-month barge rates indices, when you look at what USDA reports, the shipping costs are slightly above where they've normally been. And, you know, if crops need to be transported, the resulting increase in transportation costs is, uh, will cause buyers to re- really widen their basis. Uh, the basis for soybeans um, in a report that came out earlier this week, uh, you saw it starting to close a little bit from where it was. It's still, you know, nationally, it's still, you know, 30, 35 cents under. Um, I went this morning, I think uh, the facilities in the Lake Providence area were maybe six cents under um, there. But, you know, again, this is going to affect transportation, and obviously uh, some sort of trade resolution would certainly increase optimism. Uh, but then again, are you going to be at the mercy uh, of a high river that you just simply won't allow you to send a crop providing that you've just created a larger market for it? All right, with uh, that, Michael, let me interrupt you here. Uh, kind of touch on that, where you were t- going with that, if they can't get their crop down here, could that possibly make ours more valuable? But the main thing I've been worried about and I can't get a handle on is, you know, all the media reports, everything you see on Facebook, everything you see on TV, the rain, you look at the weather forecast, they're getting hammered as bad as we are and they're continuing. And, you know, the levee breaks up there. Uh, Everything you read tells you they're behind in planning except for the USDA report that was out last week or the one I read, said they were basically on track. There was no problem with their planning schedules. So what is your thoughts on this? And I'm not asking you to contradict the USDA market. I'm just saying, what is your thoughts for us? How is this going to affect the market between now and harvest up in what happens in the Midwest? Well, you know, I think, too, when when you think about those folks in the Midwest, and we all saw those pictures of Nebraska and, 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 and Iowa early on and uh, with, you know, the devastation floodwaters they had, uh, you know, those waters have rescinded a little bit. They've been able to get in the field and plant, but corn planting is behind. Bean planting is way behind, and I don't mean to use this highly economic words a little bit and way behind. It all means a lot, um, but I think the market's starting to realize this. USDA the way they look at normal planting intentions, they're going to wait uh, for a couple weeks until they get their first reported crop production forecast of the year, and those are going to fuel what goes into that June 30th acreage uh, or 29th acreage report. And that's going to be kind of that second in a series of reports that USDA puts out that, that simply answers the question, how many acres do we have of that crop? Uh, corn planting is behind. I touched on this a little bit in my market newsletter. Uh, the University of Illinois, uh, the ag economists up there, Todd, Todd Hubbs and Scott Irwin did a really good job. They looked at using historical data with planting dates to try to estimate, okay, if we're 10% behind, if we're 20% behind, if we're 30% behind in the U.S in terms of where we need to be for corn planting. How is that going to affect supply? And simply put, I think, you know, 10 to 20 percent behind in planting nationally can be, mean anywhere from one to two, maybe even as many as three million acres of corn not planted. And 
when you look to see where the USDA supply and demand sheet is right now, any kind of reduction in supply is going to be favorable for the corn market. And I think the weather right now is starting to kind of work its way into the futures market. You saw this on the nearby corn, but also on some of those new crop contracts. I'll just use the December contract as an example. You kind of see those funds and those traders, they're in almost record short positions. And I talked about what that means, and I think a lot of those words kind of get you know thrown around with some of the media reports and the news outlets and everything else, but that commitment of traders' reports of where those spec funds and where those investors are relative to the number of contracts they hold for corn or soybeans in the futures market, and when they're in a net short position, they're kind of anticipating, okay, what's going to happen here? And as a rule of thumb, um, you know, they're going to have their largest long positions when they think the market's near near the top or a peak, and they're going to have their longest short positions, if you will, when they think the market's at a bottom. Now, I'm not trying to say the market's at a bottom right now, but the position of those funds would seem to indicate that they think a price rally is going to be likely. And when they start to exit those positions and they start to trade those contracts or buy them back, it seems to indicate that the price is going to rally. Now, how quickly they do that is going to basically speak to the longevity of the price rally. But I think when this weather comes in, right now there's a lot of uncertainties, a lot more rain in the forecast right now that's starting to add fuel to the fire, so to speak, that maybe these acres won't get planted, and you're starting to see that corn market and those and the futures contracts start to realize this a little bit. So that's why you're starting to see them uh, Try, uh, starting to gain a little bit, and uh, you know the, the weather could always change, and I think we know that better than everybody living in Louisiana. But it's interesting when you see these studies because they're trying to marry the agronomy and the economics together. Um, and then again, you know, obviously temperatures and conditions during the growing season, we still have a long way ahead of us. But I think when you see those reports and you look at uh, where history was, it can kind of be an indicator of kind of where we're going with this when you want to just look at the long-term relationships of it all. And uh, I hope that answers uh, the question you had, Mr. R.L., at least to a degree. Yeah, uh, it, I think that's, it got just uh, what my thoughts were, okay? Right. Well, good. Well, Michael, we are we're out of t- about out of time. Uh, we got to do a little housekeeping here and make a few announcements. But uh, we definitely appreciate you coming on. Been very informative, and uh, probably sometime later this summer, we're going to get you back on so you can tell us how we're going to make money, you know, with, with what kind of crop we got. Uh, well, let's do it. Like I said, this is my first podcast, and uh, anything you guys need or your growers need, please tell them to give me a call. Always willing uh, to help a producer in any way I can, but thank you all so much for having me. Well, we thank sure you. appreciate you coming on. And if he, and Michael, Dr. Delaberto mentioned his market newsletter, contact, if you don't get it on email, I know I get it and send it out to my email list, just contact your local extension agent and get on the list. It's very good information, and he sends a lot of stuff. We get a lot of emails, and I just forward them on out just to my email list. But, uh, but we sure appreciate it. we got a couple things here. Uh, I want to mention again the Dean Dean Lee Field Day and Expo is going to be June the 27th. It's going to start at 2.30 in the afternoon with field tours. Uh, they're going to have some family and consumer science, some 4-H, 4-H stuff going on, horticulture, livestock. It's going to be a, a big day, uh, fun afternoon, a good afternoon, a lot of good information to be learned. And then uh, at 5 o'clock, there's going to be an industry expo. And that'll be available where you can talk to some in- people with industry, different things. And at 6 o'clock, they're going to have a meal. They're going to feed you. So it's a pretty intensive afternoon, and I think you can really learn something if you need to come. And uh, it's free. 
Just all you have to do is come to the Dean Lee uh, Research Station at um, in Alexandria, right behind the LSU Ag, LSU Alexandria campus. Uh, so, and I think that's about all that's going on in yep, the R. I think so. Uh, you know, there's some things that's tentatively in the works uh, coming. You know, late June and July, but we'll let you know about those maybe next week yeah. until we get everything nailed down. All right, and any anybody's got any suggestions, uh, any comments, just uh, subscribe to our podcast. Give us a call, me, RL, call Kylie Miller. Call one of us and say, I don't want y'all to talk about this, or can y'all find out about that? We're always looking for topics, and um, just listen to us. And uh, like I say, subscribe, leave us a comment. Appreciate you. Thank you very much, Michael, again, and thank you, Dennis. All right, RL, we'll, we'll talk to y'all next week. All right. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local extension office.